The second Bible reading for this morning comes from Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12, and can be found eventually on the screen or uh, on page uh, 1002 on most Pew Bibles. It's titled Robbing God. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a man rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings. You are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Well, good morning, friends. It's good to be a privilege, in fact, and honour to speak and to share God's word. I never take this task lightly. Uh, Now, this is a passage we were considering last month in our evening service. We've been working through the series on Malachi, and we've finished that. And so for some of you who have been coming along to our evening service, you would have heard this sermon before. And so what that means is, at least you know when the funny bits are coming up, and so you can actually laugh now. But I'm sure... The Word of God is a word to us always, and I'm sure we'll be reminded and taught by God as we reflect on this Word. But let me encourage you to keep your Bibles open. We'll work through these seven verses, Uh, but let's turn to our God in prayer. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you speak to us today through your Word, and so help us to receive your Word as it really is, not the Word of men, but the Word of God. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, I want to start today with a question. How do you spot a good Christian? How do you spot a good and faithful Christian? Now, I'm sure many of you have been coming along to this church for quite a while. Can you actually spot out who are the good and faithful Christians amongst us? And so if we were to look at my wife, Yvonne, sitting over there, can you tell if she's a good Christian or not? By observing her, can you tell? Or by observing me, can you tell that I'm a good Christian? What are the things you look at? What are the things you try to spot? Perhaps if the person at the door smiles at you and welcomes you warmly, you think, oh, that's a nice Christian, that's a good Christian. Or or perhaps if the person comes to church on time, that's a good Christian. But God forbid, what about the person who comes five minutes before 10, 15? Oh, that's a better Christian. 15 minutes before, oh, even better. Even better. Is that a good Christian? Or is it the person who gets involved in all the various ministries at church, puts their life and heart into serving in so many ways? Are those the good Christians amongst us? 
Or what about this? This is perhaps for those sitting around the back. You'll notice this more than those up the front. Perhaps during the sermon, you see the heads nodding. You know, they're nodding in agreement. And you're thinking, that person, that, that person's listening. That person is a good Christian. Whereas the other person who's nodding off, well, that, that person's not a good Christian. So can you spot a good Christian? Well, I suspect that all of us make our judgments in one way or another about the commitment of others to Christ. But I want to suggest today that this is not as easy as it seems because it's not always as we perceive. If you think about it, it's in fact quite easy to pretend to be a good Christian. It's actually quite easy. And if I wanted to look like a good Christian to you, I can smile to you all day long. I can do that. I can get involved in church ministries here and there. I can do that. I can come to church before 10.15. I can do that each week. I can be nodding away every week at the sermon. And I can look like a good Christian. But you see, I can be fooling you. I can actually be pretending that I'm a good and faithful Christian. Now, don't get me wrong. If you are doing all those things, that's wonderful. That's, in, in, in a sense, a fruit of your faith in Christ. And that's what we want to see. Faithfulness and partnership in the work of the gospel. But you see, spotting a good and faithful Christian is not as easy as it seems. You see, and that's because there are things that are in our hearts, that are on our minds, that no one else sees. I'm sure that's true for you. Things that are on your mind and in your heart that no one else sees, but God sees. God sees all those things. And today our passage in Malachi speaks at one area of our life that no one else sees. It's in fact private to everyone else, but not private to God. And this area of life, which no one else sees, is in fact our giving. Our giving, how much, how regular. Now, now, no one tries to work that out each week. As the board comes around with the bag, they're not trying to weigh as each um, you know, whatever's put in, they're not trying to see, oh, is it getting a lot heavier? If it gets a lot heavier, perhaps not too much anyway, but they're not trying to work that out. But this area of our life is hidden from everyone else, and no one should know, no one must know. But it's this area of life which, in a sense, is a litmus test to our faithfulness to Christ, a, a test on whether we're, in fact, a faithful Christian. One of the tests now, it's because this area of life, it's private from everyone else, and so it's an area of life that you can't pretend. You see, if I, this will not happen and must not happen and will never happen, but if I actually got to see into what you give, how much you give and how regularly you give, if I got to see this, but that will never happen and must never happen, I would actually be able to tell straight away whether you're a generous person. I'll be able to tell straight away whether you're a stingy person, whether you're a greedy person, just by looking at your giving. I can see straight away whether you actually understand the generosity of God. Because you see, our giving, our private part of our life, speaks volumes to where our heart really lies. And so our passage today, it's this that it speaks of. God is bringing this to light in the life of his people during the time of Malachi. You see, God was showing them that they've been stingy towards God. They were, in fact, robbing God. 
And so we're going to work through this passage. So Bible's open, and we're going to start from, the, from verse 6. So in this section, we're looking at the book of Malachi. Malachi is the last book of the Old Testament, the last prophet of the Old Testament. And so this was about 450 years before the coming of Jesus. Now, this was the time when the people of God returned from exile, from Babylon. They returned to their land, but they found that their land were in ruins. The temple wasn't there. The wall wasn't there. Everything was ruined. They were experiencing famine and hardship, injustices all around them. They were just unhappy. They did rebuild the temple, but that temple was nowhere as glorious as the temple of Solomon. But then God says to them now, God says that he wants them to know that as bad as things are now on their return from Babylon, as bad as things are now, God wants them to remember that I do not change. You see, God is saying to them, I do not change. The promises I made to Abraham 1,500 years ago, the, the promises of land, of offspring, of blessings. You see, God says, I do not change. I will remain faithful to those promises. And so as bad as things are now, you are not destroyed. You, in fact, got off very lightly. You haven't really changed since the time of your forefathers. You're just as greedy. You're just as adulterous. You worship idols. You break all of my commands. But God says to them, you, have, you should have been destroyed long ago. But God says, I do not change. And I will remain faithful to those promises of Abraham. And so this is what we see and in verses 6 and 7. So we'll read through this. I, the Lord, do not change. So you, O descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. And so God's making plain to them, I will not change. I will keep my promises. But then God now makes this plea to them. God says to them, come back to me. Return to me and I'll return to you. Now, the word return is the word from which we get the word repent from. That is what repent means, to turn around. And so God is saying, you guys have gone off on the wrong way. Make a 180 degrees, turn back to me, and I will turn back to you. And so verse 7, God says, return to me, and I will return to you. Now, their response was a bit strange here. Rather than recognising, okay, we've gone the wrong way, we need to turn back to God, stop worshipping idols, we need to turn back to God. Instead, they question God. They say, why do we need to return? Aren't we already in the right with God? You know, it's sort of the typical Australian response. I'm all right. I'm not that bad. God should be pleased with me. And so they ask, how are we to return? And so how are they to return? What do they need to return from? What was their fault? The fault of these people about 450 years before the coming of Jesus. We're not, now God makes it plain to them, plainly clear to them. God makes it clear to them what they've been doing. You see, God says that in this one area of life, though people may look at you and think you're good and faithful, in this one area of your life, you have been robbing me. You've been robbing your creator the one who has given you everything you own. And to which they were surprised. No way. Us robbing God. But then God says, you've been robbing me in tithes and offerings. 
Now, in the Old Testament, that was the requirement of the people of God. It was like a tax. They give 10% of everything they earned and owned. So from their animals, from their farming, 10% went to the Levites, which were the tribes to look after the temple of God. And then another 10% of that went to the priests. But rather than give what was rightfully God, they were instead holding back. They were giving God the leftovers. And so they were meant to give God the best of the animals, the firstborn, the perfect animals. But instead they gave God the blemished animals, the ones that were diseased and blind and lame. It's a bit like when you invite a friend or family over for dinner, but instead of feeding them the roast, you give them instant noodles. And once they've gone, then you have the roast for yourself. That was what they were doing with God. They were giving God all the leftovers. And that amounted to robbing God. And so verses 8 and 9, have a look. Will a man rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? Well, in tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you are robbing me. And so things for the people of God on their return from exile were not looking good at all. They may have appeared to look like good, faithful Israelites, good, faithful Christians. They perhaps smiled at each other all the time. They perhaps went to the temple on time. They perhaps looked good to all those around them. But God saw into their heart and God's verdict is, you have been robbing me, but return to me and I will return to you. And now in the final bit of this passage, God now makes a promise to them. God asks them, test me, just test me. Test me to see how generous I will be. Turn back to me and you will be blessed beyond measure. You know, you're, you're, there will be rain for your crops. You'll, be, you'll have a bountiful harvest. The pests won't get to them. Go on, just test me. And so verses 10 to 11. God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have, you will not have enough room enough for it. I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then God says, test me and see how I will bless you. And then verse 12, God says, all the nations will actually call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. The other people will see how blessed they will be if they return to God. And so what was their situation on return from exile? Well, their situation was a lot worse than they expected. They saw the injustices, the ruins, the famine, but yet God saw into their heart and saw something worse. They were robbing God. But yet God's plea to them was still to return to him, that he might bless them. So what do you think this all means for us today? This was a group of people about 450 years before the coming of Christ. Now you see, ministers, uh, I've, uh, being a minister myself, I often find it very uneasy, very uncomfortable in speaking about money, speaking about money to Christians. And that's largely because there's this sort of perception that ministers or the church are always after your money. And so it makes it quite uneasy. 
You know, if, uh, but if you think about it, that can't be the case. As if we're, in a sense, after your money. It's not like if there's a, uh, a bigger collection today that we'll have a bigger meal this week. We'll get to go out and not have baked beans and instant noodles. It doesn't work that way. You see, for Presbyterian ministers, our stipend's set by the denomination. We are not after your money, and the church is not after your money. But there is this perception which must change. This perception which I hope today will change, that the church is after your money. You see, Christian giving is not simply about a physical thing. It's not about paying bills. It's actually not about paying the stipend for ministers. It's not about paying programs and projects. Christian giving is, in fact, a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. It's not actually between you and the church, or it's not between you and the minister. It's a spiritual matter. It's between you and God. Your spiritual giving is between you and God, and that's why only God knows. No one else should or must know. And so that's why even those in full-time gospel ministry, like Chris, myself, Pete, we must give ourselves. We must be generous with what God has given us. You see, Christian giving ultimately is between us personally and God himself, not us and what we give money towards. And so let me ask you the question that's raised in our passage. Are you robbing God? Surely not I. Surely not I. Look how many, in how many ways I serve God. I smile to people at a time. I, I get to church. But you see, our giving is often the litmus test because it's private. No one else sees. And so we can hide our stinginess, our greed from all those around us. It is often a litmus test of where our heart really lies. And so are you robbing God? It's a private matter between you and God, and I'm sure you yourself know. But now, just so you get an idea of how generous our church has been over the last year, I'm going to share you a story and then some statistics. Now, there was a man by the name of Phil. He's now uh, an Anglican minister up in Sydney. But before he became a minister, uh, when he left university and landed a graduate position, he got a pretty decent paying job. Like all graduate positions, they're pretty decent in their salary. And so this guy, Phil, he remembered putting 50 bucks in the plate each week. 50 bucks. You know, that yellow note? And he thought, wow, aren't I a generous man? How generous am I? And he was thinking, I'm sure if the world saw how much I'm giving to church, they'll think the same thing, that I'm such a generous person giving this yellow note in the plate each week. But then someone had the backbone to challenge him and to suggest to him, you know what, on a decent graduate income, 50 bucks a week could not be generous at all. It can't be generous. A Pharisee, during the time of Jesus, would give 10% of the income. And that's a Pharisee. But you are now under grace, not under law, but your giving is far less, far below that of a Pharisee. Give 10% and you're just as good as a Pharisee. And so 50 bucks a week looks a lot, doesn't it? Sounds like a lot. Sounds generous. But on a decent income, it can't be generous. As bluntly as I can put it, it really can't be generous on a decent income. So that's the story. 
But now let me share with you some statistics of our church. Now, last financial year, our church received about $200,000. Sounds like a lot of money, doesn't it? $200,000. Now, just think about that. What would that buy in Surrey Hills? You'd probably buy 20% off a property and probably a toilet. That's it. You don't get the rest of the house. You probably just get the toilet. Sounds like a lot of money. But I did some rough calculations. You know, I put my engineering skills to, to use. I made use of a calculator. And this is what I discovered. In our church, there are about 180 adults. Okay, about 180 between the morning and evening service. And of course, not many, not everyone is working. That's, that's a seven. Not everyone's working. Many are pensioners and many are students. And I'm, I'm sure that many people who do give don't just give to this church. They give to worthy gospel ministries outside of this church. And that is all true. But just so you get an idea on what the average is per adult in this church, 200,000, 180 adults, works out to be $21.37 per adult per week. 21 bucks. You know what? That's only $2 more than an adult movie ticket. The friend of Phil said to him, 50 bucks on a decent income, that can't be generous at all. But our church, the average, the average giving per adult, 21 bucks. So I want to ask us, are we robbing God? Now, just to put that into perspective, if all the 180 adults... In our church, we're all on government pensions. Okay, All of us, we're not working, we're all on government pensions. Now, now this is not the pension that politicians get, but the pension we get from Centrelink. Okay, so just say that. So for argument's sake, what would we each get? 180 adults. Each individual on a pension would get, on a government pension, would get $553 per fortnight. Okay, now you, you can tell me those of you on pension if that is true. It might change after the election, but anyway. Every individual would get that on a pension. A year, each one on a pension would get about $14,000. Now, if each individual of our church, each adult, on a pension, tithe, gave only 10%, as good as a Pharisee would, you know what? We would actually get more than what we got last financial year. We'll get almost $260,000. Of course, many of us, the vast majority of us, are not on a pension, on a far higher salary than a pension. Even ministers in our stipend, we get more than 14000 a year. And so are we robbing God? Now, for argument's sake, okay, for argument's sake, just say... Each of the 180 adults in our church just gave an extra large Big Mac meal each week. Okay, that, that works out to be about 10 bucks. Okay, so every adult gave a large Big Mac meal. That would mean that the church would get an extra $93,000 a year. It's an extra 10 bucks. And you know what 93000 will pay for? It will pay for a full-time minister and almost a part-time women's worker. Uh, that gives you an idea of what the stipend of ministers are. But what are we seeing here? Are we robbing God in this church? 
And if you think about it, this is robbing God, isn't it? 21 bucks per adult per week. You see, all that we have is actually not ours. It doesn't belong to us. We must go away from that thinking that all that I've earned and worked for actually is mine. No, it's actually God's. God gave it to you. We must see it for what it really is. All that we have is, in fact, a blessing from God. God has, in fact, made us stewards of all that we have and own. God gave it to us to look after it, to use it for his glory. And so God will keep us accountable as stewards of all that he has given us. And so when Jesus returns on that final day, and Jesus asks you, each and every one of you, how have you been a steward of all that I've given you? What do you think you'll say? Lord, I help the poor where I can. You know, those salvos, I, I, I do put in coins. I do sometimes put in, try to put in notes, but it's always hard to fold it and put it in a slot. So I do put in coins once in a while when I see the salvos. I, I give to church where I can, when I remember to bring my wallet or when I remember to go to the bank. But Lord, you know what? You've you got to see this. Come, see this. Look at, look at my bank account. Look at all the zeros I have. Look at how much I reserve for you, for your return. Look at all my properties. Look at all my investments. What do you think Jesus will say? You have robbed me. All of those things were mine. And you kept it for yourself. You have robbed me. Now remember, this is not the church asking for your money. In the end, Christian giving is about Christian godliness. Not between you and the church, never between you and the minister, it's between you and God. And that's why the church, the minister, must never know and never see what anyone gives. It's between you and the church. No, not you and the church, between you and God, sorry. Ah, you are listening. That was a test. But let me now leave you with some principles that Yvonne and myself, we apply. I mean, we have been generously blessed by God with all that he's given us. And these are the principles we apply in where we give, how much we give, and why we give. So how much do, do you know, must we give? Should we give? Well, these are principles we apply. doesn't mean you have to because in the end, it's between you and God. Okay, you must remember that. Now, the tithing idea, the 10% idea, was in fact an Old Testament idea. It was an idea for those under the law. We are actually now under grace. The obligation is different. Under the New Testament, it's not an obligation that you must pay your taxes. Rather, it's the principle of generosity. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, it says this, Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. The Pharisees under the law were expected by law to give 10%. We are now under something far greater, not under law but under grace. We have shown, been shown far greater generosity than what the Pharisees witnessed. And so, if anything, if you want a, a, a starting point, well, set 10% as the starting point. But obviously, you need to apply wisdom in this because throughout life, our life situation changes. 
And so for single parents, 10% might be hard, very hard. For those who have been separated, 10% might be hard. For those raising a lot of kids, like six kids, 10% might be hard. But you know what? For students living at home, 10% is not hard. 10% is not difficult. For those working, for graduates, 10% is not difficult at all. For couples, without kids, 10% is not difficult. But again, you have to decide because that is between you and God, not you and the church. But we must remember, mustn't our righteousness surpass that of the Pharisees? And so the principle that we must apply is not, in a sense, how much, to, to think that if I give this much, then God must be pleased with me. That's not the principle. How much, what's the, what's the limit? Instead, we should be thinking the other way, which is, how generous can I be with all that God has given me? And so this is the principle we apply. How can I be generous with all that God has given me for the benefit of others? And so to be generous, you have to plan to be generous. Just like being godly, you have to plan to be godly, to work at it. You don't, you don't fall into godliness. We fall into sin. We fall into temptation. But we don't fall into godliness. You have to plan for godliness. You have to work at godliness and so with generosity. You have to plan to be generous. Work at being generous. And so that's how much. What about where to give? Well, this is what we apply. You have to think on what you want to do with what God has given you. But this is how we think about it. Two areas in which we give, it, uh, give our finances to, our money to. Two broad areas. Firstly, that is the poor and needy. It's a principle in which we are to love our neighbours as ourselves, to provide for those who are in need. And so for us, this is an expression of our Christian love. And so for us, we give to T Australia, the gospel-centred, Christ-centred ministry to help those in need. And we also give to Compassion. So these are gospel-centred ministries that we give our money to. That's one, one area in which we give our money. The other area in which we give our money is, of course, Gospel ministry. Gospel ministry. Ministry for the furthering of God's kingdom. Ministry that supports people who proclaim the gospel message of Jesus, that people may be saved. And so this is the local church. Primarily the local church that you're part of. And other ministries we support, the Australian Fellowship of Evangelical Students. They are like a mission on the university. They're there to proclaim Christ to students. And of course, the other, the other area are missionaries. So ministries that are focused on proclaiming Christ, in advancing the gospel, because it's only Christians who would give to this area. Now, historically, Christian men who did a lot for God and his kingdom, those great men of the past, they all had financial backers. Do you remember John Newton? the guy who wrote the song Amazing Grace, the guy who worked to abolish slavery. He was only able to do what he was able to do because he had a financial backer, an evangelical Christian merchant by the name of John Thornton. He supported John so that he could do his work. What about this guy? Do you remember this guy? Hudson Taylor, the first missionary to China, the guy who started the China Inland Mission, now OMF. He brought 800 missionaries into China and that led to 18,000 conversions in China. 
But you see, for him to do that work, he required a financial backer. And he had a financial benefactor by the name of William Berger. This guy was extremely generous to Hudson Taylor that he may do his work. So our offerings to God can result in making an eternal difference in the lives of people. Just like in our passage, return to me, don't rob me, and I will return to you, and you will see the blessings. Now just imagine the blessings that that Berger would see, that Thornton would see, because of their generous giving. The thousand that, that are saved because of their giving. And so in heaven, thousands would thank them, even though they were not on the front line. Thousands would thank them because of their generous giving to God. Now, final principle, why? Well, obviously not out of guilt, not out of obligation, but willingly and joyfully because I've been compelled by the generous gospel of Christ. God, in his generous generosity, sent us his son, who was rich but became poor, that we may become rich. You see, we must not see this like an investment with God. God, I give you 10 bucks, and I'm expecting 100 bucks back. It doesn't work that way. But we give out of a generous heart. So if I give, I am blessed, just as what we read in Malachi. And Jesus says this himself. It is more blessed to give than to receive. And we must must remember, in giving, we're not doing God a favour. We're not doing God a favour. God doesn't really need our money. I mean, he owns the universe. He doesn't need our giving. But we must see that our giving is, in fact, our privilege and honour that God will use the little that you give to make an eternal difference in the lives of others is actually our privilege and honour. God doesn't need it. And so recently I've, I've heard from two of our growth groups and I've been greatly encouraged by this. Two of our growth groups out of their own initiative, nothing of my uh, persuasion, out of their own initiative, they decided, well, let's be challenged about being generous with what God has given us. And so to, both of these growth groups, above their regular giving, they they suggest that why don't we see if we can give up to a week's wage towards gospel ministry. And both of these groups did. They did so anonymously. I don't know how much they gave. I don't know who gave. And I don't need to know. And I must not know. Because in the end, it's between them and God. These people knew what it means to be generous with God, what God has, been, has given them. Now, if you think about all this, it's not just our money, is it? It's actually our whole lives. We belong to God. All of our lives belong to God. We can rob God in all sorts of ways, not just in our money, but in all sorts of ways. But the question is clear. Are we robbing God? Now, I want to say now a quick word to those of you who are here, who are visiting, who are not yet Christians who are exploring, perhaps. I need to say this. The last 30 minutes or so, you can forget all that. That's actually not for you. If you're not a Christian, that's not for you at all. It's not user pays. We instead want you to know the generous God, to know how generous he has been to you in sending his son to die for you. That's what we want you to know. You can forget the last 30 minutes. But for the rest of you who call yourself a Christian, 
who profess to be a Christian, well, we can, be, we can pretend to be good and faithful Christians in so, all sorts of ways. But there's this hidden area, this private area, which only God sees. And God does see. And I suspect for all of us, we might need to make a reassessment of our generosity to God today. Are you robbing God? Let me pray.